We've been talking about the the need for community, and what that means is, you know, all of us need friends. We need family. We need people around us. If uh, if you are locked away in solitary confinement for any length of time, uh, you will deteriorate. Now, everybody loves the idea of getting stranded on a desert island, uh, but it wouldn't be very long before you would try to find a soccer ball and paint a face on it and call it Wilson, uh, because we we need people. Now, how much you need people is a matter of temperament. You know, how are you wired uh, uh, I told you a few weeks ago, I've taken all those psychological tests, uh, and what it says about me is that I'm entirely mediocre. I fall right in the middle of everything. Uh, but some people really get energized by being around people. Others get, that just drains the life out of them to be around people too much. Uh, so you really need to know your temperament. God is not wanting to, to crack who you are and break it into pieces and make, you know, go from an introvert to an extrovert. But what he does want us to do is in our own capacity, the way we're wired, the way we're made, to find the place and the people whom we can serve. Of course, in your family, you want to be thinking about them, your immediate and extended family, but then your neighbors, co-workers, things like that. And as Dawson said, we're hoping to reach out into our community uh, on October 30th and have all of our neighbors, you know, we're going to have jumpy things. I don't know how many. I think we're going to have three jumpy things out there, and we're going to cook and have food and maybe some food trucks and and uh, and lots of candy. So bring tons of candy. Uh, one bag's not enough. So bring a bunch of candy because we're going to give lots of candy away to the kids. And, and uh, if they never come back to our church, that's okay. And we'd love for them to come back. But... What we want to do is show them that Christ the King is here to serve them in this small way during a, a wonderful holiday of Halloween and harvest, whatever you want to call it, um, and uh, and enjoy that time with our community and with each other too. So if you have your scriptures with you, open them uh, to First Peter chapter 3, and we're going to talk about something that's, I think, really important uh, and uh so we're going to read a, just a few passages. Also, by the way, it's printed in your bulletin. So if you don't have a Bible with you, it's okay. Uh, we're going to start reading in verse in verse 12, and we're going to read uh, to verse 18. So now hear the hear the the uh, word of God. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous? No, I think it's printed wrong. It is. Pardon me. This has been printed wrong in your bulletin. It's 8 through 12. So, I had too much uh, candy myself this morning. Okay, it's 8 through 12. So, if you don't have it, it's printed wrong in your bulletin. If you don't have it, just listen. Finally, all of you, having unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart, and a humble mind, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. 
For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is the word of the Lord. We've been talking about community and how if you read your Bible, you know God created community in the very beginning. In the account in Genesis, He created all the animals and created plants and the earth and all of that. Then He said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness. Male and female, He created them. And so He made man. He said in chapter 2, it's not good that man should be alone. It's bad that he's alone. So we're going to make Someone who corresponds to him. The animals did not correspond to him the way that God envisioned for the world. He needed someone who could stand beside him and bring the chaos, what the Hebrew says, the tohu v'bohu, the formless and the void, to bring it into order, the chaos into order. And so we see that that's been the case from time immemorial. Humanity has been charged with being a steward over creation, not, listen carefully, not an exploiter. But what would you expect after chapter 3 when mankind falls into sin? What do you think happened to stewardship? It became exploitation. And so, of course, we live in a time where uh, we see that our world is degrading in many ways. It has in the past as well. Uh, But we're not taking care of our planet the way we could or perhaps should. And yet at the same time, we're not taking care of our communities the way that we could or the way that we should. So God creates this community and he expects us to be living in that community in a certain way. So I'm going to talk about something that uh, it's not easy. Uh, And I hope none of you get mad at me, but if you do, that's okay. uh, Because you'll be mad at the Apostle Peter as well. G.K. Chesterton said Christianity has not been tried and found wanting or lacking in any way. Christianity has been found difficult and left untried. In 1 Peter 3, we have what we call, and I've talked to you about this before some years ago, uh, a redemptive response. Peter is talking about how you as a Christian, if you claim to be a Christian, how you're to live your life. What's your life supposed to look like around people who are not like you and perhaps don't like you? And perhaps they they may actually be hostile to you as they were in this audience that Peter is preaching to. They were enduring some social ostracization because of their Christianity, their embrace of their faith. And so there was tension. It was tension among families, tension among workers, and tension in the communities in Asia who Peter writes this letter to. Because this Christianity was a new thing, a new religion, and it was really kind of out there, kind of strange. And so Peter and the other apostles following Jesus and, listen, following the teaching of the Old Testament. It's remarkable how much of this is in the Old Testament about how we are to respond to the people in the world around us that are not like us, that may actually be enemies, that may actually want to hurt us. And we call this a redemptive response. Redemptive response. And this is what this is how uh, the theologian Karen Job's 
uh, defined redemptive response. And it's worth writing down or at least making some note. A redemptive response is not responding in kind, not responding the same way to insults, slander, and evil intentions. It's having, listen to this, it's having the inner fortitude to break the cycle of evil that spirals ever downward. Now, if you think about that, just in our own homes, in our own family, you know, we can get at loggerheads. We can get opposed to one another. We can be fighting with each other. And usually it's a struggle, as uh, Friedrich Nietzsche said, it's a will to power. It's wanting to overpower the other person in order to get our own way. And I know it's hard because, you know, you've got somebody that's being selfish and, you know, it's usually a woman. They're being selfish. <laughs> Believe me, that is a joke. It's usually the man. I mean, we're being selfish. And we're being rude and we're being, you know, jerks or whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> and the other person responds in kind, in the same way. What do you have? You have gasoline and a, and a fire. It's an explosion. But what would happen if one of them responded in a redemptive fashion and said, well, okay, I'm going to give in? What do you lose? Now, you're thinking of what you're going to lose, but Peter has a lot to say about that. What are you going to lose by doing something good? He talks about that in verse 13 and 14. What, what, what's going to happen if you actually do something good? Is it really going to go against you or is it going to go for you? Is it going to be something good? Are you going to receive a blessing? So a redemptive response, the first thing that happens, even if you do run a risk of losing, listen to what a redemptive response will do to you, yourself. Transformation, listen. A redemptive res response assaults self-centeredness, self-protection. A redemptive response traces, you know, when we were kids, we got those big, big chief, uh, racist um, tablets. <laughs> you know, we were supposed to trace the letters. You know, the letters are there and you would trace them. Well, he uses that word here in the Greek. He says, our lives are traced onto Christ and Christ is tracing onto us. His life onto ours, our life onto his because he always responded in his entire life with redemption in mind. Now, we can't do it the way he did it, but we are to follow that writing, that tracing, and trace it onto our lives. It's not perfect, like ours wasn't perfect following the big chief notebook, but it is close. And he wants us to do it because he wants us to trust him and to follow him. So look at, at verse 8. Uh, again, I apologize. It's not printed crop properly in your... That's probably my fault. I give Ella the scriptures, and I probably gave her the wrong one. He says, Finally, all of you have... And then he gives five virtues. Now, these are not all the virtues that are in the Bible. There's lots of them. But he gives these five. 
unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Unity of mind is a like-mindedness. It's not that we all think exactly the same things, but rather the word means that we're all pointed in the same direction, that we're following a similar pathway. We have the same attitudes in ourselves. Now, they may play out differently, but that they are similar enough, they're following or tracing the life of Christ, that we're moving in the same direction. We're all facing a certain way. And I would say that the way that we're facing is toward our Lord Jesus Christ, who also is facing out to the world, and we're there to represent Him like a trace, like a writing over a tablet, a letter that's perfect in a tablet. So that unity of mind, what he's pleading for is that regardless of your political affiliation, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or liberal or conservative, whatever you are, that you can put that somewhere lower in your cone of certainty in your life, push it down and elevate this this like-mindedness to your Savior and what he has taught, both in the Old and New Testament, that you're willing to take that posture in yourself, even if it costs you, and move out into the world with a redemptive spirit that you're going to somehow redeem the pieces of this world that are broken, and all of you know it's broken. Sympathy. This word simply means to understand, to see or feel from another's point of view. It's being able to look at someone and have a sense of, of oneness with that person in their pain. Now, I've never lost a child. Uh, I haven't lost my spouse yet to death. I have lost other things. I've lost my reputation. I've lost my money. I've lost my business. I've lost my health. And like so many of you, you can think about things that you have lost. And just that sense of loss, knowing what loss is like, should make you able to respond to other people in their pain. One of the saddest things in the world is to see how harsh and critical Christians can be towards other people who are in trouble. It's like we want to just take a camera and take a snapshot of everybody in their worst moment and then define them the rest of their lives by that moment, not allowing for anything that might have come before in their life, any kind of trauma or hurt or wound, and certainly not looking past that initial moment where you can judge them and feel self-righteous and like you're better than them, not thinking, well, maybe they're on a journey just like me, and maybe if we just give them some time, they'll change, and how about I get involved in their life and get messy with them? How about if I try to help, even though it's going to cost me? That's what sympathy is. It's sympathy both, not only in sorrow or hardship, but it's also sympathy and joy. You know, I don't know what you all feel when we see a little baby. I mean, Andrew, he's cute as can be. But there should be a sense of oneness and joy that we all feel as a community, which I think baptism gives us an opportunity to do that, when we are pouring the water of God's Holy Spirit upon a child and God is saying to us, we're not declaring to God, I'm giving my life to you. Well, good luck with that. Good luck with you giving your life to Jesus. Because when hardship comes, who's going to hold you? You're going to hold him or is he going to hold you? Christ the King, please answer that question. 
You going to hold him or is he going to hold you? When trouble comes. Go ahead and say it. He's going to hold us. Don't fool yourself. You don't have goodwill. We'll cook a bit. We'll cook a dozen chocolate chip cookies and watch how many of your good, how good your strength of will is. And if we really want to test you, we'll bring a cold, ice cold glass of milk and you will crumble before our very eyes. Willpower is not going to get you. It'll get you certain places in certain ways, but it won't get you all the way. You've got to have somebody that will hold you who is sympathetic to you. And that is the glory of the gospel of Jesus. He was sympathetic. He became a human being so that he could enter into our sorrow and our pain. And then he, the third one, brother, brotherly love. This is the word Philadelphia. It's, it's the word for brotherly love. The love that brothers and sisters and human beings have for one another. It's not an emotional, listen to me folks, it's not an emotional attachment. That's something else. But don't confuse it with love. Love is acting rightly towards another person. And when you act rightly towards that person, you will feel something. It will affect your emotions. But if you're looking for an emotion to be love, then what's going to, let me ask you the question, what's going to happen to that feeling? It's going to ebb and flow. It may even go away entirely. You don't know how many couples I have talked to. And I'm sitting there and ask the husband, what's going on? He said, I don't love her anymore. She's put on five pounds. And I'm looking at his big ponson hanging over his belt, you know, like this, you know, and hair growing out of his ears. Have you looked in the mirror lately? Honestly, this is what we're dealing with, folks. We, we, don't, we don't know that loving somebody is going to take more than emotion. It's not enough to have emotion. You're going to have to make a commitment of love and act rightly towards them. Tender heart. This is the fourth one. It means that you're full of pity. I love what, uh, what, what Vijay always tells the guys in uh, the journey is that, you know, grace and mercy and love, VJ has always used the word spacious. It makes us spacious. It creates room around us so that people can get... We're not porcupines. You know, they can't get near you because they're going to get stabbed, you know, with something. Instead, we're easy to be around. We put down the barriers. We welcome people in as much as we can. I mean, everybody's temperament's different. So, you know, I don't want somebody at my house day and night visiting me. I need my time to watch Netflix. But, you know, can you, can you find some value in others? Tenderhearted, soft, pity, you know, feeling sorry for somebody. The first century, folks, was brutal. It was harsh. It was cold. It was nothing. It was nothing. We think abortion is bad. It doesn't compare to the first century. They'd have a baby, and if it wasn't a male baby, and it didn't look just right, they just threw it out in the gutter. Literally. 
cold, cruel. People died and they didn't have any pity. If a person was lame or had a disease, you know, they were ostracized. And here comes Jesus. He steps into the world and He goes right straight to those people without even any hesitation. Lepers, you weren't supposed to get near them or even touch them. He would go touch them. Unclean women, prostitutes, you know, think, oh, my reputation, I can't get too close to them. He's right up in their business. And he forgives. He says, I forgive you. And everybody goes, wait a minute, only God can forgive. He just ignores them and he says, I forgive you because I am God. And it doesn't stun us anymore that he, that's his posture towards you and I. I don't know how many times I've told you here, Christ, he doesn't hold his nose at you. I beg you, if you haven't picked up this book, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, I pray every one of you will take one and give one away. I don't know how Dane did it. I don't know. He hits it out of the park to give you the heart, the gentle and lowly and loving heart of Jesus for broken people. And I think most of it, you know, we say we know God loves us, but we don't live like he really loves us. We don't live like he's in our corner. We live like he's over there with a scorecard keeping score. How good are they doing? Even I do that. And let me tell you, that will crush you. Christianity is a stinky religion if that's what it is. But thankfully it's not. It is not that. And then finally he says, a humble mind. That means low-mindedness. It's not the same word as humility, but it's a derivative. It's being low-minded, courteous, listen, deferential, giving, giving way, making spacious as... Vijay says to us in the journey, self-effacing. In other words, you know, you're, you're keeping your all the greatness about you a little bit suppressed. And polite, not demanding one's rights. Listen, this is so hard. I don't, I don't like this. Not demanding one's rights, but giving them away. You know, every one of us has a line that we draw, don't we? Yes. We all have a line. I'll go this far and no further. This is where I draw the line in giving up my rights. And the snowflakes in America, you know where we draw the line? Anything that we don't like. You name it. If you don't like it, we draw a line and we separate from other people. Yes? I'm not going to give my rights up. I draw the line here. Well, let me ask you something, Christian. Where did Jesus draw the line? Did he pay a, did he tithe his blood? Did he just give 10% of his blood or 10% of his life or I mean really? Stop and think about it. And he didn't say I'm going to do this so that you won't have to. He said I'm going to do this so that you can and will and indeed you must follow me all the way to the cross. In an honor and shame culture, and that's what the Greco-Roman world was, an honor and shame culture, this was revolutionary. It was beyond the pale because the way you got ahead in that world was by defending your honor 
up to the point of even killing somebody, if they uh, dishonored you in any way, if they slighted you in the, in the smallest way. It was a macho culture that paid, anything in this world, unless you leave the shores of the United States and go to some other countries like the Middle East where I'm from. I mean, you know, though, my family come, came from Lebanon. They've been fighting and killing each other for thousands of years. And they're still talking about the, the, the cousin in that family that said this to the cousin in that family uh, in 892 A.D. You go into a village, you say, well, how come you guys hate each other? Well, you know, 500 years ago, they did this and this and this. The spiral of violence. And Christians can get caught up in it too, folks. And I'm just begging you, think through these words. We talk about community. Community in action is right here. This is Christianity 101. This is not, this is not, you don't go on and advance to, uh, you know, the institutes of the Christian religion with John Calvin. You don't advance to that till you learn this. You'll become a monster if you do. If you get a lot of theology and you don't know this, you better know this. Then you can go and understand the higher theology and get all excited about, ask John Calvin into your heart and we'll baptize you with a, a glass of wine or something. I don't know. Why would you do this? Why would you work these virtues into your life and into the life of the community? Well, very quickly, listen. These virtues will, will act like mortar, like glue. This is what holds a church together. You know, you hear all the time about churches blowing up and splitting and doing all that. And I, I, my, the first pers- church that I pastored as an interim pastor had blown up four times, blown to bits. People left and, you know, leave a few people and then the pastor would come back and they'd gather people again. The last time it blew up, it blew up so bad they couldn't put it back together. So they called me. I went down there as a seminary, just graduated from seminary and went down there and I went down there. It was so much pride, so much hubris. I went to that little church. I said, boy, wait till they hear me preach. We're going to be standing room only. We're not going to be able to fit all the bodies into that church. We're going to have so much money I can buy an airplane. We ended up closing that church. I had to close it. And years later, Marty V told me that, you know, you, she thinks that God took us there to help them die. And I was thankful that Marty V said that because she could have said, he brought you there to kill them. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't want to be that. So anyway, it, it holds us together. It's strength. It's mortar. It's support. You know, when something tragic happens in your life, you need somebody to come along. Not read a bunch of stuff to you. Not hit you over the Bible. You know, the Bible says this in the Bible. But just sit there, hold your hand, and cry with you. And just be quiet. But be present. And mission. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. If this... This commitment to one another in community is real, then people will know. So let me wrap up with this. He gives us two directions, and this is the um, redemptive response. If you look at nine, uh, the verse nine, it says, "You're not going to repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, you see, it's an." a positive effect and an avoidance of the negative. So it's positively doing something and avoiding something else. Not repaying evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, 
blessing. For to this you were called so that you may obtain a blessing. What Jesus, what Peter is doing is he is putting into words what Jesus taught them about blessing your enemies, blessing those that curse you. Because when you do, uh, Matthew 5, 11 says that when you do that, you are sharing space with the ancient prophets who were reviled and cursed and beat down and sometimes martyred. He's saying, don't, don't worry about that. Rejoice that you can give your life up for these things. It's worth it. Now, I know we don't really believe that it's worth it because, you know, we're going to die. And But remember, the Bible has in mind that your life is just a certain span of time that extends into eternity, right? I mean, don't you all believe that? Even those of you that are not Christians will know. You, you know something's got to be after death. There's something eating away at us inside that tells us there's something more. I may die physically, but my eyes are going to pop open. I'm going to, you know, where am I now? Think about that. So we are to actively do something and avoid the negative. And here's the rationale that Peter used. He quotes from Psalm 34. It's really, it's beautiful what he does. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, now he's quoting from the Old Testament. He gives five commands. This Psalm 34 is beautiful. He gives five commands in the Psalm. They're not suggestions. They're commands. Let him keep his tongue from evil. Oh my gosh, he got me. Right there. I don't have to read the other four. Let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from seeking, uh, speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil, avoidance of the negative, and let him do good, pursuit of the positive. Let him seek peace and pursue it. This is what the church is meant to be. And yet, if you get on the internet or Facebook or any social media, you will find some of the most hateful, vitriolic, and divisive language coming from who? Christians. In America. It is shocking. And here you have a command from Almighty God not to do it, and yet we don't hear any of these big, you know, big names, these big shots saying this, what they will do is tell you, bring me your money now. And if you do, you'll get this and this and this. And here at Christ the King, I, you know, I'd love to preach that. That would make me lots of friends. But here I come and tell you, this is going to be hard for you. We're going to have to keep our mouths shut. We're going to have to speak righteously. We're going to have to defend the weak and the lowly and the marginalized. We're going to have to be opposite. Giving up our rights. And I know that doesn't resonate with Americans. We hate that stuff. And here it is. From the mouth of the Apostle Peter and from our Lord Jesus. Don't blame me. Okay. So here's what he wants us to do very quickly, to act as a lightning rod. I've talked to you all about this before. 
Christians are to be a lightning rod for the vitriol and the hatred of this world when it comes to our faith and other things. We should be prepared to step in and take the arrows. Take the hit for somebody else. Disadvantage yourself for the advancement of someone else, even if it's an enemy. Dr. Bruce Walke, who was my professor at seminary and is one of the top five in the world scholars in Hebrew and in Greek, the guy's a genius, and Dr. Walke said, taught us that the Old Testament word for zedekah, which is righteousness, is, means this, to disadvantage yourself for the sake of someone else, to advantage them. And the key is that for it to be righteous, you had to disadvantage yourself. In other words, if it was just quid pro quo, if you're just giving somebody what they deserve, loving somebody that loves you back, that is not righteous. That's just normal. But for it to be righteous, you had to love your enemy. You had to do good to those that despise you and disagree with you. You have to be that person that gives it all at your own expense. Now you're talking righteousness. And wickedness, disadvantaging somebody for your own advantage. In other words, they have to lose for you to go forward. These are profound things, folks. They are the baseline of Christianity. And why Chesterton said it hasn't, it's not been found lacking. It's just hard and left undone. Nobody bothers trying. We're to be lightning rods. We're to live lives of redemption. Have our identity in Jesus Christ. Live lives of confidence and faith. Listen to what this theologian Karen Job said. I love it. It may be possible to clench our teeth and do something good for someone who has insulted or hurt us. You know, I'm going to do what Chuck said on Sunday. I'm just going to make myself do it. All the while, all the while, bearing ill will towards them in our heart. You know, you do it, but you hate their guts while you're doing it. But the command in, in this verse 9 says, don't do it in a legalistic or a begrudging way, uh, but with a confidence a confidence in the transforming power of the new birth. See, if you're born again, you're not going to die. Can I have a weak Presbyterian amen for that? Okay, amen. You're not going to die. You're going to live if you're a Christian. You're going to live. And so the bad people are going to die. And you have a chance in this life to be good to the bad people because that's all the goodness they're ever going to know, ever going to experience ever going to enjoy, is the kindness that you show them. Yes? Okay. Have confidence that your life is in God's hands, not your own, and that anything you do in His name is going to be a blessing to you. That's what these last verses say, but we don't have time for that. So, How in the world can you do this? How do you do it? I've already said it a number of times. Listen to this verse. This is something you should commit to memory. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we 
might become the righteousness of God in Him. Do you see what God is saying to us? It's profound, folks. He's saying, look, Jesus did no wrong. He did nothing but righteousness. He disadvantaged Himself all the way, completely, to the cross, to the grave, to the forsakenness of having no community. He gave Himself to that degree so that we could, for the rest of our lives, step up and say, I will be in Him who knew no sin. I'll find my identity. That's how I can do it now. Because on the cross, listen folks, Jesus was that ultimate lightning rod what do you think happened on the cross? You think he just put a, a good example up there of how, oh, this is what you do when you love somebody, you die for them? No. On his head, all of the sins of humanity fell on him. And those who believe in him are promised new life. They're promised that they will not die, that he will apply his righteousness to us. Think about that. We deserve that lightning. We deserve that wrath. We deserve the fire. He took the fire so that we could then be little lightning rods in our lives with our little petty things and redeem the world. Will you trust Him? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, uh, thanks for Your goodness, Your kindness, and Your mercy. I don't know about anybody else, but I know I feel this every day of my life when I come before you. I wonder how I even am permitted to stand before you. And I know it's because Jesus took the fire of your wrath. He took it on himself for me. And he buried it in the ground of his grave like lightning goes down a lightning rod and into the ground. He went into the ground for me. Please, Father, I pray you'll awaken the church of Christ the King, that you'll awaken the church in this country before it's too late. Help us, save us, and have mercy on us. Amen. Well, 